Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the blessing it is to be able to come to you and to hear from your word and to be built up in the truth of who you are, Jesus. Thank you for the, the wondrous truth that we get to look at today. Help it never to become stale or old for us. Uh, help us never to miss the point. And today, Lord, help us to see more deeply and in a fresh way the reality of the truth of God with us. And Lord, we pray for these kids as they go out, that you would bless them in their time, that you would build them up, that they would grow as your disciples to know you more and more, to receive your grace in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to give you a category here, and I'm not going to give you an example of it because I just couldn't think of it. But I think it's something we're all going to have some relating to. Uh, You know, when you were a kid and, you know, maybe you read a book or you watched a film uh, and and it was amazing and like I, I'm sure there are hundreds of these for me where you saw the beautiful colors and you saw the interesting things that happened and and it was amazing and phenomenal and you really enjoyed it but then years later you came back and you realized oh there was a point to that you know there was like it wasn't just the amazing bit where uh, I don't know the, the the dragon jumps off the cliff or something I, that's not a specific example it wasn't just about the baboon holding up the, the lion. There was actually a point to this story. It went somewhere. There was cohesiveness. Uh, I, I don't know about you. I, I think I probably did that with most of the movies and books that I, that I approached as a child. Um, I saw them in bits uh, rather than as a, as a whole. Um, you know, this, this is why a lot of the older children's stories end with the line and the moral of the story is because, because kids, when we're kids, we're a bit... You know, some of us, at least, I think Yaku's actually pretty clever, but but I was pretty slow to the point of the thing. And I kind of needed someone to go, and this is the point, John, because otherwise it took me the next, you know, 15 to 20 years to get to the point. Uh, Sometimes never, I'm sure. Um, Now, I think most people in our culture would have some sort of a, a passing knowledge of the Christmas story. Right, uh, and when I say the Christmas story, I, I, you know that I'm not talking about Santa and sleighs and things like that. You know, we're talking about the Jesus story. Uh, it, it's about baby Jesus. Hello. Uh, at this time of year, we see uh, nativity scenes start to pop up all over the place that that kind of tell that story in a way for us. Uh, there's there's maybe there's a what is there in that scene? A, a baby in a feed trough. That's that's essential. You got to have that one. Uh, also known as a manger. Uh, He's surrounded by parents, shepherds, animals, maybe a few wise men thrown in there, although really probably only a couple of years later if we read it properly. Uh, You know, maybe a few angels, although the Bible says nothing about them being there. But but, but often often we have a tendency, even us Christians have a tendency, of missing the, the woods for the trees. Uh, getting getting so wrapped up in in the details and the bits and the, oh look there's angels up in the sky that, that we miss the central and the most important and the cohesion of it the thing that's holding it all together. Often we look at the Christmas story and we think you know the baby's adorable isn't he? And the, those angels they're cool and the shepherds they're a bit of an interesting choice you know wow God chose shepherds that's that's worth thinking about the the miraculous birth that's a bit peculiar haven't come across one of them before. But amidst it all, we can have a tendency to miss the bigger picture of what's happening here. And that's important for, for you and for me. 
uh, because if we miss the big picture of what's happening, when uh, th then we, we miss this important fact. What's happening here, what we hear about and what we see and celebrate at Christmas, it's not just a distant reality, it's personal for you and for me. And it has serious, massive personal implications for you and for me. Over the space of this next few weeks, uh, we're going to be walking through our Christmas series, as you know, titled it Joy to the World. Uh, we're going to talk about all sorts of things, uh, taking our cues from that old carol, uh, talking about uh, who this guy Jesus is who came into the world and what he came to do and what that means for us. But today we're in the, the first part, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Does anyone know where the clicker thing ended up? Did mum take it out with her? Could you press it once? So it's the button on the... And again. There we go. The Lord has come. <laughs> today, we're in the first part. And we're going to just focus today on this central reality, right? Just for a little while, this single central reality of Christmas. that God came down. It's probably something that you've all heard a bit of before. I hope it's something that's still encouraging to your soul. Because this isn't something should you ever become stale for us as Christians. This is, this is a, the one-off event. Uh, there, are, there are plenty of miracles in the Bible. They're still miraculous. They're still amazing. But this is in its own category. This is, this is the one moment in central to all of history when God came down. And that's what we read in the Bible today in, in Matthew's Gospel that Anita read out for us just before. The birth of Jesus from the Virgin Mary was to fulfill these words we read. Behold, the Virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's, that's where we're going to focus today. We're, I'm, I'm sorry, we're not doing a full exegesis of, of that whole passage of Matthew. Incidentally, it, it, it says there, though, that it was to fulfill these words because um, some of us will know they were spoken, uh, written by the, the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before Jesus came, uh, that the coming of Jesus was foretold and foreseen a long way before. You know, different critics uh, argue that those words were written at a different time, but no one argues that they were written after Jesus came because the Hebrews were using them before he came, quite obviously. But it's almost impossible to fully understand how significant those words are or to fully, fully state it, to, to fully expand how amazing and how important it is that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Because if they are to be taken at face value, I believe they are, then everything, everything else in this story is just a sign pointing inwards toward the baby saying, he's God. He's God with us. Everything else that is there just to point us to that. You know, I, I think most of us have been, but let me just give you the crash course uh, to introduce you or anyone who might listen in at home to who this God is. The God of the Bible is bigger and more powerful than you and I could ever imagine. Uh, I, I mean that entirely literally, and I'm a fairly imaginative kind of guy, I think. Uh, what's, what's, what's the most powerful thing that you can imagine, aside from God? God. Give it a crack. God. Five. Four. Volcano. What? Atom bomb. I wrote that down. Anyone else? Any razors on volcano and atom bomb? I think volcano has it at the moment, by the way. Earthquake? I don't know whether a volcano or an earthquake. It depends on the volcano and the earthquake, I suppose. Um, you know, 
There's lots of options, right? There are some amazingly powerful things in this world, most of them well beyond us as people. The only one I could think of for, for something we do is atom bomb. And really, it gets thoroughly exceeded by some other stuff. You know, think about, think about uh, the sun. You know? Everything we just stated is a blip on the radar compared to the sun. Think about the stars that are big enough to make our sun look like a speck of dust. Think about the galaxies that float across a seemingly infinite void of space, large enough that we, we could not get our heads around how big they are. You know, There are some amazing things that we could compare God with, and yet he's bigger than anything we might compare him to. Because anything that we might imagine to compare him to comes from our experience, your experience, my experience of this universe of creation. And the Bible opens with these big words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the maker of everything. And if that's the case, then anything that you might compare him to, do you see, is insufficient. It's unthinkably smaller than him. Bombs, earthquakes, volcanoes, suns, galaxies, universe. He is beyond them all. They are all smaller than him because he made it all. It's kind of like, it's not really like, but it's kind of like, you know, Owen is really into Lego at the moment. I say it as Lego because I lived in Queensland for a few years. Sorry, don't judge me. Um, it's sort of like this. It's not really like this. If... Um, the, the Lego man tried to describe Owen purely in terms of Lego. Uh, now, now, it's sort of like that, but, but really, there's a lot of Lego in the world. You could build a Lego thing that you might look at and go, well, that's actually more impressive than a human being. Uh, but that's not the case with God, because, because Owen didn't create, Owen just creates Lego things. God created everything. All things are smaller than him. Nothing, everything together is not comparable to him. You know, in the Old Testament, they built a, a temple. A Solomon, King Solomon built it. It was a seriously impressive building. It was huge, especially massive by ancient standards. And when the prophet Isaiah had a vision of God, we read it in Isaiah chapter 6, I think. He's trying to express just how huge this God is that he sees. And the best he can come up with is that the hem of his robe filled the temple. Get your head around that. Not only is is he like, but think about it, like like he's got a he's got a like this is a hem this little bit here and it's probably not the whole hem that he's describing it's probably just the edge the bit that sits on the end and the the largest building that Israel had to offer the hem of his robe filled the temple you know and this this is poetic language and undoubtedly it's just Isaiah trying to express this in the biggest way that he can but you know. Just, just for a moment, and this is a bit silly, but Im imagine how big I would be if this bit of my clothes filled the temple. You know, if it filled something, you know, maybe, I'm going to throw a number out there, 10 times the size of the Minlison Town Hall. Um, this bit, that, that little edgy bit there. It's not going to come through well on the recording, but you get my point. Big. Not only is he big, though, the God that the Bible presents knows everything. He's the just judge of everything. 
He is perfect in everything he does. And he knows and decides everything in history, every moment, every movement of my hands right now. He decided beforehand, before it even happened. And that's just this brief overview of the God of the Bible. But even knowing just that much, right, those brief bits, try to get your head around it. The baby in the manger is God with us. That God with us. God came down, and even though he is greater than anything we could imagine, it's hard to imagine a more humble way for him to come, really, as a person. God comes down, and he doesn't appear in a blaze of blinding light. He doesn't touch the earth, and it burns to an ash in an instant. He doesn't appear, and all of the kings of the earth appear before him and bow before him with all of their kingdoms behind them bowing before him. He doesn't do any of this. He's not there making decrees. God comes down as a, as a baby. Have you met a baby? You're familiar with babies? I think most of us are, right? <laughs> they're not... They're not they're adorable, don't get me wrong, but they're not the most impressive creatures in the world when it comes to majesty. You know, he's, he's, not, he's not there making decrees. He's not even talking. You know, see, see the word who now is mute we just sung before. He comes like anyone else. And in fact, if there's one thing that sets him apart, it's that the, the baby is, is so lowly born. His birth is so much less than almost everyone else who is born. He, and, and remember, the great God of all the universe who, who decides everything beforehand. So there's intentionality in every step of this walk. And he comes as the baby of a virgin, a young virgin. That is, there, we, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but, but he's intentionally stepping into a vulnerable set of shoes there. A virgin who is the, the wife-to-be, and then, and then by the time that he's born, the wife of a carpenter from, from backwater town in the most B-grade area of Judea who has just recently been displaced from that town uh, by, a, by a big census. He's currently so poor and without contacts that in the town that they've been displaced to, he can't provide a bed for his wife who just gave birth or for his son, who he just discovered is the saviour of the world. What's happening here is, is that the greatest is coming down as the least. God's coming down humbly to be among his people. But while that's big, and it is big, I think we can agree, that alone doesn't really have the, the life-changing implications for us, does it? It's amazing, don't get me wrong, but if God had decided to come down and to live an average life or even a significant life, then that would be great. But it wouldn't really have serious implications for us, would it, 2,000 years on, just with those facts, if that was all we had. So that's really because we've really only looked at half of what those words there mean, that he is God with us. We've talked about what it means that he is God, but the fact that he is with us is bigger than the fact that he is just among us, that he, that he comes down, he's with, he's with people. 
it's a, it's a culminative sentence there. I mentioned 700 years since the prophecy. It's actually a lot longer this has been a plan that's in progress. And to get our head around it, we need to just step back and look at the story uh, a little bit more broadly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step through it in, in a couple of minutes. God created, the Bible tells us, a perfect world with, with people who were made to live with him in perfect forever joy. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Did, did you know that? Did you know that you were made to find the greatest joy that you could ever find in being in the presence of God forever? Experiencing life with him. The stark next reality of the Bible, if we were to move on to the next big moment, is that uh, what followed God's creating of a perfect world was us making a mess of it. Every human since the first humans, uh, Jesus excluded, has lived in rebellion against God, the Bible calls this sin. Sin is the brokenness in you and me. This is, this is probably rehashing ground for a lot of us. Let it hit you again. That, that thing that you did this last week, that's the brokenness in this world. That desire that you pursued this last week that you know is against God, that's the sin that has destroyed this world. Sin is our false desires that cause us to hurt each other, to act selfishly, to steal, to cheat, to lie, and worse things than those. Right? And the Bible tells us all have sinned. You, me, your great aunt Doris, who you always seem so lovely, all of us. Now you might not think that you're selfish, but let me give you a couple of litmus tests there. Uh, when was the last time you argued with someone? When was the last time you continued the argument just because you wanted to be right and beyond the point that you actually knew that you were right? Every day. Beautiful. We should have a chat, but beautiful. Um, cool, cool, ladies and gentlemen. Demonstration of sin. When was the last time you did something that was hurtful to someone else? You knew you would be hurtful to someone else. When was the last time that you failed to love, love others but preferred to love yourself? We all do this. When was the last time you hated someone? Yeah, we think, we, I think we, we brush our hate aside and we go, I don't hate that person. I just really dislike that person. Be honest. Come on. You're just using words to get away from it. Hmm, I'm not sure the Bible would allow for your categories, Anita. <laughs> let me, let me keep. Uh, if you can't identify a time when it's been you, by the way, uh, let, me, let me give you a brief piece of advice. Find someone who's close to you, who spends time with you on a day-to-day -day basis, and ask them whether you're perfect. See how it goes? Um, whether, whether you're ever hurtful. People are muttering things, ominous things. That brokenness, that badness in you and me, that's not primarily against each other, the Bible tells us. When, when King David has committed terrible sin, against people, by the way, he says, against you alone have I sinned, God. Now, he's hurt people, don't get that wrong. But when, when we sin, when we rebel, we're rebelling against God. We're assaulting the God who created us. It's us taking the things that he has made and abusing them. 
It's us, the people he has made, saying, I don't want to live according to how you made me. And incidentally, for the joy that you made me for, I'm going to pursue the rubbish things instead. Our rebellion separates us from God, and it separates us from every benefit of being with God. It separates us from the forever life we were made to have. It separates us from the greatest joy that we were made to experience. It even separates us from peace with each other. Hence those arguments, you know. Hence the I was right. Hence the mumbling, I assume. And so we live in this world, the Bible tells us, where everyone sins and everything is broken. But into this brokenness, God sends something perfect. He sends Jesus. God himself comes down. What we find throughout the Bible is that God is working a history-wide plan to rescue a people for himself, to dwell with them, to bring his people out of their brokenness, out of the mess they've placed themselves in, and to bring them back to living in peace and joy with him. And what we see at Christmas in the story of Jesus is the beginning of the culmination of that, of that history-long plan. Jesus comes down to save us from our sin. Jesus is the one way that God has made open to coming back to life, to joy, to him. Jesus, later in life, he'd say these words, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Might be an offensive truth to a lot of people in our culture today. But it is a truth that, that, uh, that is going to save your life. Jesus is the only way back to life, to joy. In fact, and we'll look at this more closely in our in the rest of this series because I'm really undermining Andrew as he comes to talk us about Jesus, talk to us about Jesus the Savior next week. But um, he comes to take all the punishment that we deserve to make that way back. It's what it means that this child is God with us. He has come to bring God's people back to God back to life and to joy with God. The theme of this talk is, is joy to the world, the Lord has come. And that's just as true today as it was uh, when, when that first Christmas happened, when those words hadn't even been written yet. Jesus is still active in this world. He is still going out. If you are his people, he's still going out through you and his presence exists with you by his spirit. But the next line of the song is perhaps just as significant for us and for those that we go to. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Now, the, the first question I would ask you out of those lines is, is there room for him in your heart? Have you received the king? Only those who trust in Jesus receive him. Don't be fooled into thinking that having said that you believe in Jesus is enough, having consented to the realities of the cross is enough, Faith in Jesus is throwing your life upon him. It changes you and transforms you. You're not saved by transformation. But he will rescue you if you trust him. 
Is he in your heart? Is there room for him in your heart? He's worth more than anything else that you could possibly have. All of those desires that you go after, all of the stresses and the things that pull you in every direction, you know, especially at this time of year. He is the only way to God. If you, if you haven't received the Lord Jesus, that can change. Today, or if you listen to this online, the day that you listen to this person, that can change. There's no sweeter truth than the truth that when God came down, it cost Jesus everything to save his people and he offers that freely to us as a gift. You could never earn it, but if you trust him, he will give it to you. But let me say this as well, and I'm going to finish with this. This isn't a one-off trusting. It isn't trust in Jesus and you're done and go on with your life. This truth that we need to prepare him room is true for me. It's true for every Christian here. We have things that crowd our hearts that fight to remove Jesus. Do you know that you still have sin in you that fights against the presence of Jesus in your life? Jesus transforms us for our good. So I want to ask us Christians here, what room are you preparing for him? How are you making space for Jesus in your life? Like I said, nothing we do saves us. But having found that life and joy are in Jesus, it just makes sense, doesn't it? It just makes sense that we would live to have more of him in our lives. That with heaven and nature, we would sing the praises of God. Intentional. So where are you spending your life? At this time of year, let's, let's make it now-ish, right? Where are you spending your life apart from him? Where are the things that you say, that's much more important, I need to get that done before I can make space for God? I think if we're really honest with ourselves, they exist. What are the things that you spend your life going after that are maybe even mining, mindless, meaningless, Worthless compared to him. They may look like they have worth. They may look like they have meaning. Do they have eternal worth and meaning? Will any of them come with you? This time of year is busy. Don't know if you noticed. I have. It's filled with things you need to prepare room for. But don't neglect the greatest thing. But for the sake of the lesser ones. That's crazy talk. Don't neglect to spend time with God, to, to feel the warmth of his love in, in, in prayer, in scripture, in, in spending intentional time with him. And don't neglect to prepare room for sharing the truth of his gospel with others. God's chosen mission plan in this world is, is you, Christians. Prepare room for it. Don't, don't neglect it. As you gather with family, as you gather with friends, as you, as you go about the Decemberness, you know, don't neglect that there must be room in your life for Jesus to work. This is an encouragement to us as well, though. Yeah. Joy to us. The Lord has come. Let every one of us pursue joy. I'm not 
pushing you at the moment, do you understand, to neglect your joys, to go after something else? I'm saying stop going after the B joys and go after the A joy. Let every one of us pursue joy by putting away the remnants of our rebellion against him, by putting away sin, by preparing him room. Would you pray with me? I, I, I need that challenge. I don't know about you. And I need God to help. God, would you help us? Over this month, Lord, we boldly ask that you would uh, challenge and change us as people. You would work for our transformation, that you would um, put your hand on our lives and and reveal to us where we are building up things apart from you, where we are seeking to spend our lives apart from you, where our hearts don't have room for you. And Lord, we ask that you would slay the idols and lead us to love the one true God who gives us joy and life. Put your word in our hearts, Lord. We know that you have. Put the face of Jesus before us. We know that your spirit lives in us. We ask that for your people this would be a season of joy in the gospel that pours out in exuberant telling of it. Thank you for the joy of Jesus. Thank you, God, that you came down to rescue your people. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.